Good morning. Are we happy today? That was good worship. Thank you. Really good. Sometimes when we worship, I just don't want it to end. That was this morning. It's not because I haven't prepared. I have prepared, but just it was that worship thing that was happening. Hey, can you all um, move forward now that folks have settled? Move forward because we're running out of chairs, which is a good sign. Um, And folks are still coming in, and our kids' program, they're needing some more chairs. So everybody just kind of move forward. You can go ahead and fill the front row where we were at because not there. We are. We're praying that they just come from heaven. This morning, I had a dream, and in the dream, we were sitting in these awesome chairs. Oh, they were so comfortable. And I thought, where am I? And she said, this is the vineyard. I'm like, oh, gee. So I really think it's going to happen. So just keep moving forward. Some of the kids in the classroom need some more chairs. I'm going to bring my brown chairs next week. No, we're headed to buy a chair and buy a chair for a friend. That's where we're headed. Unless God provides. So we're waiting for the provision first. So pray for a chair and pray for a chair for a friend. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be real good. Okay, so now that we're all comfortably sitting in our chairs. All right. So other than fast, and I think a really difficult conversation to have with believers... It's the topic of evangelism or sharing our faith with other people. Now, in the Bible, calls it evangelism. Uh, we often will talk about it as being witnessing. But I really think in the 21st century, this is a very uncomfortable topic. And there's several reasons why I think that. But one of them is that only 3% of you in this room are comfortable sharing your faith with those who are not yet believers. That They've done the statistics over and over with churches, only 3% of you. So that means... Out of 50 people, how many is 3%? Yeah, one and a half of you, you know, in this room are comfortable with that. Okay? And so you're like, well, why doesn't everybody else share if you're that one and a half, you know? (laughs) Now, there's lots of reasons for being uncomfortable sharing our faith. A lot of people feel insecure or inadequate. They feel like, I can't really do it. I mean, what if somebody comes up to me and asks me the question of, well, why do you believe what you believe? Well, okay, that one's okay, but, you know, do you really believe this Bible that's in your hand was written 2,000 years ago is not just been changed a lot? I mean, really. I mean, maybe it's one big telephone game, you know? And what, what started and what's ended are completely different things. I mean, what if somebody asked you to prove that God exists? Wouldn't that make you a little nervous? Or what if they ask you a question that you haven't sorted out yet? Like, why is there suffering in the world if God is such a loving God? I mean, if he's such a holy God, why did he make us with the potential to sin? Wow, those are rough ones. And these kinds of things can put fear in us and think, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can share my faith. What am I going to say to them when people from Bonga Bonga land die and they never heard about Jesus? What is God going to do with them? And I think another reason why we have a hard time sharing our faith is because we feel like my life doesn't really square up with what I'm learning at church. Hey, you're not in anything unusual. I feel the same way when I read God's word. 
Okay, so it seems a little hypocritical. I mean, I've heard some of you say, I will not put a Christian bumper sticker on my car because I can drive like a maniac. And I don't want to give a bad rap to my church. Because I, I thought, you know, maybe we could have bumper stickers that say, Vineyard Church, you know, and then they're like, oh, yeah, Vineyard Church. <laughs> Look what they just did to me. Yeah. And then there's another set of reasons, which is means is it's not politically correct right now to be a Christian. Right? Because you're associated with a group of people that carries baggage. You know, if you're a Christian, you're a gay basher. If you're a Christian, you're a right winger. Or maybe you really are anti-women's rights. Right? You might be working in a setting where Christians are viewed as being irrational, unscientific, unscientific, right? Intolerant, narrow-minded. Or you may be afraid or uncomfortable because you've blown it in the past trying to share your faith with folks. And you messed it up. You made the person so offended, so hurt, that you lost the battle. Because really, there are issues that cause us from thinking. We think, well, you know, I don't have that gift of evangelism. Well, first of all, there is no gift of evangelism in the Bible. But I believe the gifts you have, the talents you have, the personality you have are gifts and talents from God that he does want to use in the process of evangelism. He wants to use your ability to be hospitable. Some of you love to open your house. You don't care if it's messy or perfect. You love to open your house. That is the spirit of hospitality. Some of you are great teachers. Some of you have awesome ability in art, music, construction, watching kids. And God wants to use that as part of the process of evangelism. Anything you have, anything you are, God can use. Now, there's a great book called Being a Contagious Christian, which I'm not going to talk about today. But if you want to know, how can I, an introvert that stays at home, be of any use for God in evangelism? You know, how can I, who works in a place where everybody hates Christians, and I'm this sole little Christian, I mean, how can I do it? And Being a Contagious Christian is a great book. It's written by Bill Hybels, so I highly, highly recommend you read it. But perhaps the biggest problem in sharing our faith with people, I believe, is that we've seen a lot of bad models. And we don't want to be an obnoxious jerk. Isn't that right? We don't want to be overbearing, insensitive, uncivil with folks. You know, um, I was one time at the corner of Bandera and um, Hebner, right here. And I was stopping for the light, and there were these four well-meaning Christians on the corner of Bandera, and every car that paused, they yelled and said, Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, you're going to hell. And I went, Oh, I am so glad I don't have a Christian bumper sticker on my car right now. <laughs> because I'm embarrassed. Okay? And that's my family. You know, I'm associated with them. They weren't from the Vineyard Church. I'm not saying that. But, you know, they're me. They're part of who I am. We're part of the church. And um, so I was doing a little bit of research. February 2004, there was an American airline pilot who had just come back from a mission trip to Costa Rica, and he was pretty excited about it. And so he decided to use the PA system on the airplane to say some things. Yeah. 
And so, um, you know, first of all, he says, um, you know, good evening. This is your captain. And I just want you to know that I just got back from a mission trip. And um, I would like for, it's said that half of the people in the United States are Christian. If you're a Christian, will you raise your hands? And then he paused for a little bit. Now I want everyone to know and look around and see how crazy these people are. And he was laughing. No, really, make good use of your flight. Ask these people why they're Christians. Or you can read your Bible and watch the movie. I mean, read your book and watch the movie and waste your, your flight. Now, later on, he was interviewed, and the interviewer was asking him questions, and he was able to disclose, you know, I just wanted to give Christians a chance to talk about their Christianity. I mean, I obviously couldn't go back there and do it myself. So I used the PA system, and I felt that God was telling me to say something. There's actually no regulation against what I did. Well, Captain Findenson was released from his job. You know, it's not hard to find illustrations from our own life that either we've been involved in or we've seen happen that are horrific. They're horror stories about how we have offended and alienated people from pursuing Christ or investigating the church. And yet God clearly expects us to share our faith. 1 Peter 3.15. If you have a Bible, you're going to need to use it today. My PowerPoint gal was very sick. And so she wasn't able to do my PowerPoint. That's Priscilla. You can pray for her. She's concerned she's getting a relapse, so that would not be good. So have your Bibles. We're looking at 1 Peter 3.15, and then we're going to be studying from Colossians, and you could have told me that, right? Been on that for a while. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So how are we doing in obeying this verse? How are we going to share our faith without being a jerk? How do we not impose our beliefs on others and just share the love of Christ? Now a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, Karen Lee shared about what she and the ministry at UTSA InterVarsity is doing there at that college. I was so stirred by that service. I, mean, I, just, I cried through it and I've been thinking about it ever since and I was so blessed to hear the testimony of those college students and what they're doing and I just felt like I wanted to share a little bit more equip us a little bit more so we can be an empowered community of how to share our faith so let's pray Lord thank you so much for your presence as here you you're excited about what you want to do this morning and you're already doing it You're already convincing us that you are good, that your mercy is forever, that you love us, and you love those, Father, that don't know you yet. And, Father, there's some folks in this room that do not know you yet. They're pointing the right direction, but they haven't fully given themselves over to you, Lord. And I pray that this morning you would use um, these words in any way that's possible, Lord, to stir them toward um, committing their life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to study from Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we've been in a series in Colossians since April. Wow. We're going to get done right before Thanksgiving, so that'd be nice. So we're on chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Let's read it together. Well, no, let's not do that because you all have different versions. I won't work. It'll sound really fun. Okay, I'll read it. 
Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, what we find in the text is really some balance here. I mean, I love the way Paul does this. And he's giving us balance on how to do this thing. And do it in a way that is, you know, winsome and attractive and will draw people to God. And, you know, I'm going to refer to those who are not yet in close relationship with God as a free believer. Okay? Now, I was talking to our vineyard basic folks, and I was talking about how at the vineyard we're center set. What that means is God is in the center. And imagine there's, you know, universe everywhere, and there's these dots all around. God is the center, right? And these dots represent you guys. Each one of you is a dot. Some of you are closer than others, right? But the issue is which way are you turning? Okay, now you could be like, I was really close with God, but your back is turned to God and you're headed that way, farther away. Or you could be way, way out here and you've turned and you're going, I need to check out God. Okay, so that's how we view evangelism here at the church. And so wherever you are, our hope is that you are facing the right direction, one, and that you're moving closer in relationship with God. Okay, so that's everybody in this room. Well, as long as you're turned, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're discovering Colossians 4.2 is that reaching out as a witness begins with prayer. The very first thing we need to do is pray. It's not the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to witness to our spouse or our mother or our brother or our sister or our co-worker or to the folks sitting next to you on an airplane. The first person we speak to is God. Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer. And this is where our efforts break down. I really think this from the get-go is our problem. We haven't taken the time to pray. It's kind of like prayer is our last resort. You know, I've tried everything. I've nagged. I've manipulated. I've Twittered. I've put on Facebook. I've annoyed everybody. And I guess now I've got to pray. You know? We're talking to God. It's got to be foundational if we really want to see amazing things happen, if we really want to see our pre-believing friends and family to come to know Christ. And this is a quote, effective Christians who accomplish incredible things talk to God before they speak to people. Uh, this is like reverse. I mean, this is one of those upside-down Christian thinking stuff that makes you go, what? No, you talk to God first about everything before you go talking to your roommate or your husband, about the things that trouble you. I think we're tripping on this a little bit. Praying is what you find the apostles doing before the day of Pentecost when 3,000 came to Christ. Acts 1.14. And I'm going to do a few ones from Acts, but it's just going to be all over the place. Acts 1.14. The apostles all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And after the 3,000 got saved then the first thing they did was teach him to pray. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And then we find Paul telling the Roman Christians in Rome, Rome, pray, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We find it in Ephesians, 
pray in the spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Then Thessalonica, pray continually. Prayer is the secret behind power. You can trace it back. Any of you who have been, who are saved and are walking toward God, you can always trace it back to somebody has been praying for you. Always. And you're going to go, oh, I'm just too busy. I've got too much to do. And now she wants to add one more thing. How am I going to add prayer to my life? Now, remember, we've been saying the Colossians is a worldview book. Okay? It's, you know, this goofy lenses that we put on and that we see life in a different way where God is the center of everything. Christ is enough. Christ satisfied. It's a worldview book. Okay? And one of them is make time for me. And if you're going to get anything done, we need to be praying. <clears throat> Colossians 4.2. Paul tells us his secret. The secret to witnessing and the secret in uh, success. Devote yourselves to prayer. And now why prayer? Because if we do not pray, what we're going to say to our spouse, our roommate, our co-worker, is probably going to sound like a jerk. Because we're going to do it insensitively. We're not going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us and show us how to do it. Because only in prayer God can sensitize us. Because God knows this person's needs. He knows their behaviors. He knows their history. And when we go to prayer... He sometimes downloads information about that person so you know how to approach them. You know, you meet somebody and they're not in church, they're not into church, but they're married and have problems with kids. You know what? They want help. They want some moral foundation on how to raise their kids. And Christ can give them that. You meet somebody in a crisis and you meet somebody that's adrift morally. You know, they're really, some of them are looking for something that can give them purpose. You know, when you meet a person who's addicted to alcohol or drugs or to work or to a sexual addiction or the computers, a lot of them would like freedom. And so the Holy Spirit can show you these things without them even telling you. And you just begin to talk to them about what God can provide for them. And so in prayer, he makes us sensitive to the needs of people around us. Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now that whole devotion to prayer is that continuing, persevering, don't stop kind of prayer. And you know, what I find a lot of times is that, you know, we pray about something once, twice, five times. Wow, I prayed five times for this thing, right? didn't happen we give up we just quit prayer and some of us even quit God been there you know, just, what's the bother nothing's going to happen anyway now I want to broaden the question out why does God make you wait for answers to prayer okay, in 1989 Randy and I heard very clearly from the Lord we were on a plane coming back from England and the Lord said, this time next year, well, actually he didn't say this time next year, he said, I want you to go to Australia. And we knew there was going to be a trip the next year to Australia with John Wimber in ministry team. So we're going to go. God told, he wants us to go. Today is 2010. I've never been to Australia. Go figure. God, 
That was you. What's the hang-up? What's going on? Am I going to throw God out? And Am I going to throw my ability to try to hear and figure out God's ways? No. It is a process. I need to continue to walk it out. Well, since then, I have been to 11 nations. Not Australia yet. Okay? But God has been faithful to show me the way on. Don't give up on God. So why does God hold out? You've prayed for something a hundred times, a thousand times. Why does he make us wait? Why does he just answer the first time? I mean, really? I think he's trying to teach us perseverance. Pray with perseverance. Because when he does, when we persevere, it's going to test what's really in our hearts. When we have to wait for something a long time, it tests what's there. What we really believe of God. You know, when we can say, you know, God is really good when things are good. Right? But when things are hard, God is nowhere to be found. Oh, really? Wow! How did that happen? Because it's in your heart. It, God hasn't changed. It just allows what's in our heart to surface and we can see how mature we are, how immature we are, how conditional we are, you know, whatever it is. God is doing a work in us. You know, I was just thinking about Peter and Silas in, the, in jail, right? What were they caught doing when they were in jail? Not before. Before they were preaching. But what were they caught doing in jail? Praising, worshiping God. What? Shouldn't you be cursing God? Because look where you are. I mean, you were working for him. And then look where you are. You're in jail. It wouldn't read right in the Bible, would it? It wouldn't have sold. Okay? And we, we put these guys like podium, high place, you know, oh, that was Paul and Silas, yeah. No, that's us. We never know when in a moment we could be in a situation where God doesn't look too good. And he hasn't changed. And he's using that process, would like to use that process to show what's in our hearts. I don't think anything shifts, shifts our faith so much as our fears about God and prayer and God hearing our prayers and we doubt that he's listening. And when we've prayed for something over and over and over and we have to wait a long time for it, why must we continue to repeat something in prayer, a job, a healing, salvation of a loved one? Because perseverance reminds us of who is ultimately responsible for anything good in our life. I mean, could you imagine the difference it would make if you really believed with your feelings and everything that God saw your children as their, his responsibility? Or your marriage? Or your finances? What if we really believed that God cared about those things and he saw that he was ultimately responsible for that. I mean, isn't it true that we deal with anxiety and fear and we fret about things, and we try to control and we try to fix and we try to manipulate things to happen a certain way. And, you know, some of us will say, well, I'm a control freak. And in that confession, you know what we're really saying when we say I'm a control freak? We're saying, I believe ultimately I'm on my own with this problem. I'm not convinced that God is completely invested in me. 
in my issues and the people I love. And when the end, when it comes to really grabbing life, when the chips are down, the buck ultimately stops with me. That's what we believe. And God calls us to persevere in prayer so that we can discover that ultimately he is in control. The secret of his existence, that the weight of the universe weighs on his shoulders, not ours. And it would be awesome if we could just put all of our weights, all of our burdens on somebody else. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, we do that sometimes when we talk to a friend. We just like dump everything on them and say, okay, now you can fix it. And God's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. I'm that friend. I'm that partner. I'm that person that you can dump all of this trouble on. Because I can mend, I can correct, I can fix. I can control, I can heal, I can save. And when we can get to that place when we can put all of that on God and believe that the buck ultimately is on his shoulders, we're going to experience a freedom in prayer. Perseverance in prayer changes us. You know, when we pray, we're thinking out there. You know, God's doing something out there with that person over there. And really, he's like, okay, we'll go with it. But what I'm really he's trying to do, he's trying to do something in here, in us. He wants to change our hearts. And if we persevere in prayer, he can begin to chip away at what's in there, this cruddy, that causes you pain. I mean, haven't you ever seen this in your life? You prayed for a parent or a spouse, and the, the answer is not necessarily no, it's a wait. Not now. Or you get a yes, and then you wait. I mean, there are so many examples in the Bible where you get a yes, and then it's a long 40-year wait. Oh, my goodness. You know, Daniel, you couldn't have to wait 40 years to get to Italy? Are you going to have to wait 40 years for Diane to get healed? Completely? And there's more healing that's been coming this week. She sent a great email sent to you. Do I have to wait 40 years for a baby? For a spouse? He said yes. Wow. It changes us. He wants to change us. Now, you know what? I've been married since 1978. And most of you are not that old, okay, in this room. Some of you are, but most of you are not. And I have pages and pages. Isn't that true, girls? I have pages and pages of journals. And they haven't looked at them. But if ever they do, they would see a lot of nagging, complaining, <laughs> grumbling. <laughs> it's not exciting. It's not like, oh, my secret love. No. Just a lot of that junk, right? And I'm just laying it out to God. God, and it sounds like this. God, could you just make Randy more like Jesus? I mean, just like, could he just take more initiative? You know, could, could he just be more, less avoiding conflict and difficult conversations? Lord, make him more like you. And you know, to God, it sounds like this. Lord, make Randy like me so I can be happy. <laughs> and so what does he do? He nails me. Okay, now one of the prayer models that I use a lot is acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and then listen, right? So I had just finished adoring God. Oh, just a great time worshiping and adoring. And I'm not in confession. Lord, is there anything that I need to confess? I can't think of anything. No, is there anything? 
And then um, a little pause, and this is what comes. I'm going to just read it from how I came in the journal. I, I write C for me and JC for Jesus. So C. This is me. Uh, Lord, I'm sorry for this morning. I was pushy with Randy, wasn't I? And this is Jesus. Uh, you were rushed. Sometimes when you're rushed, you say things in a manner that seems pushy. You start to talk faster, and sometimes you get louder. And you often speak in inappropriate times. Randy had already mentioned to you that he was rushed that morning. That he didn't have much time, and you engaged him in a really difficult conversation. He needed more time. It was a serious topic, and I want to start reading, not telling me, because I don't want to ad-lib. He needed more time. You needed more time. When you press to talk without about important matters at untimely times, it feels more engaging for a conflict avoider. Well, duh. And it will not be very well received. You're going to need to learn to wait until a better time, like maybe on your date night. It may be difficult for you to have to wait, but the results, the communication, has a better chance of succeeding, which is what you want. You do not need to make things happen right now. So here I'm praying for my husband to change. And God says, no, Clara, you're the one that needs to change. Lord, why am I not getting the breakthrough? It could be that he's trying to get the breakthrough in you. And he's not going to let up because he loves you. And he knows this thing in you is killing you. And so if I can get to that, whoa, then let's just see what happens. Perseverance increases our joy and gratitude. Absolutely. You know, you've been desperately praying for a job or a loved one to get healed or salvation. And when it comes, I mean, and you've waited a long time, it is so awesome. In 1975, I became a Christian. And so for the, from 18 years old to 16 years, I prayed for my dad to get saved. He was so antagonistic to my faith. He was so disappointed that I became a Christian. You are blowing your life, your education, your intelligence on a dead man. Why would you do that? I mean, he just was furious with me. And our relationship was broken from that point on. But I wanted my dad to get saved. So I would beg God. I would reason with God and tell him why. My dad's really a good person. I know you said these crazy things about you, but he's really a good person. And if he could get saved, my goodness, he's really smart. He could really save a lot of people. I mean, I reasoned with God. I bribed God. I made promises to God. And I think finally he got tired. I think I gave him a headache. And he felt sorry for me. And he told me about three years before my dad died, Clara, stop fretting, stop begging. He's going to get saved, but not till the end. And go figure, he was right. I mean, five days before he died, I led him to Christ. Sixteen years. It would, I'd probably still be praying if he was alive. And it would be more than 16 years. But I think God wanted him with him because he's really a nice man. <laughs> God does not desire anybody to be separated from him for eternity. You know, you know, I've told you before that when I go to a restaurant, I often will ask, not always, but I will often ask the waitress or the waiter, hey, you know, we pray before we eat. Is there anything that we can pray for you? And most of the time, they'll say, well, well yeah, you know, you can pray for, hey, I get good tips. 
well, I can answer that request, right? Um, my mother, or my sister, and you know, when I go back and I talk to them, they tell me about their mother, their sister, they get better, they got out of jail, whatever the deal is, okay? And what I've been doing a little bit different when I go to pray now, I'll have their names, so I'll say, Lord, you love Johnny, and you do not want to be separated from him for the rest of his life. That's cool. That's okay. And when I said that, Lord, you don't want to be separated from Johnny for eternity. Oh, my heart just broke and I wanted to cry and I felt God's heart for Johnny. Wow. It was good. Okay, so Second Peter 3.9. Oh, I know I was going to tell you about my dad. One thing I learned was that my dad wanted, my dad in heaven wanted my father on earth to be saved a lot more than I did. That's one of the things I learned. Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, sometimes people blame God for folks not getting saved. And this verse sets the record straight. He's not willing, he doesn't desire that anybody should perish. Clearly, when we look at Christ and when we see what Christ did on the cross, he did it all for us. He's long-suffering and patient and delays his judgment, hoping that people will repent. But you know what? He's also long-suffering and patient because he's hoping for us to share. Because that's where the hang-up is, is with people, not with God. Pray with watchfulness and thankfulness, Colossians 4, 2. Again, balance, sanity. Paul's awesome here. And you know, it's weird. If you look at scripture, and I'm actually not going to read all of them, but there's one that says watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Over and over and over, those two words, those two verbs are put together. And why not just pray? But he puts watch and pray a lot. Mark, he does that. Uh, I'll just read one of them. When he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, Simon, he said to Peter, interesting, he called him Simon, but he's referred to as Peter. Okay. Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Because in watching, it means we have to be alert. We need to pay attention. And there's two things we're going to pay attention to. One, the work of the evil one. Okay, have you ever been talking to somebody and they're excited about what you're talking about and Jesus and stuff and they're like starting to get interested and then all of a sudden this old boyfriend comes back into their life and slam. You can't see him anymore. And you're like, okay, you are not on the playing field alone when you pray. There is another team out there that's coming against these folks having their eyes opened. Okay, or you, know, you pray for someone, they're okay, I'm going to come to church. I'm coming to church. And then the kid gets sick, the car breaks down, or work calls, hey, can you work today? I mean, have you experienced this? Am I talking nonsense? It's because you're in a battle and you're fighting. And that's why we need prayer because there's, we don't fight demonic forces, our prayers. So we've got to pay attention, watch to that. And secondly, we need to watch for what God's doing. 
Okay, because you know what? He's into being known and being loved, not because he's an egomaniac, because he knows that's the best thing that could happen to you for you to know him and love him. Because then he can fill your life with purpose and joy and power and healing, right? And so look for those opportunities. Look for God opening a door, a window. And, you know, later in Colossians, Paul says, pray for an open door, for an opening for me. And so we have to watch for those and not miss them. I miss them all the time. I mean, here I'm going to be teaching on this. And on, I went shopping at ATB, and there was a man who was walking really slow with his cart. So I just was being patient. I was like, oh. no, I was just being patient. I was being nice. <laughs> and so then I slowed down. And I said, are you okay? And so he tells me his story for about five minutes about falling down, breaking his hip, doing surgery. It's going to take six months. I mean, he told me a lot in five minutes. Oh, I'm really sad that happened. I'm just like, what? What happened? That was an open door, girl. What happened to you? I had to go somewhere, Lord, really fast, you know. And I had this friend that used to tell me when she goes shopping, she always gives herself ten extra minutes. So if she has an encounter like that, then she's not going to be rushed. There's not no time limit here. I got ten more minutes at least, and in ten minutes, a lot can happen. Okay, now my son-in-law, Matt, loves to paint. It's one of his hobbies. And the last time I went to his house, I told him very boldly, I am not that bold when asking for what I want, okay? But I told him, I want that painting. It was one of the ones he painted. It's in his bedroom. And I want it so bad. I kept asking, send me a digital. Send me a digital. He never did. So I'm a little concerned what he's done to the painting. Anyway, (laughs) so there's this painting. It's in blacks and whites and grays and browns. And is an angel, massive. I mean, ooh, buff shoulders, massive angel, wingspan. You know, out like this. And then you see his arms, and they're bound in chains. And when I saw that painting, I told him, "That is prayerlessness." You know, Matt didn't tell me. Well, that's not what I was thinking about. He's very nice. <laughs> but and that's why I want that painting. Because that is what it looks like when we don't pray. The angelic forces, whether you have your own allegiance or whatever, are bound. And when we pray, we release that power to go forth. To do the work for us that we cannot do otherwise. So in Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, he's telling us, don't get anxious. Yes, we are fighting the evil one. Yes, God's going to open opportunities, but don't be biting your nails and getting obnoxious. Be aware of the opportunities. Don't get passive. Don't get obsessive. But be thankful and look for what I'm doing. You know, you don't have to pin notes on your husband's pillow. Right? You don't have to do that. Pray. That's what this is about. And then look for the opportunities. Pray for open doors. In Colossians 4.3, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. In other words, pray that God will remove the obstacles so that our pre-believing friends and family can receive and respond to the gospel. You know, there's a lot of closed doors for y'all. In your department, maybe in your school, at work, a lot of closed doors. A negative association with Christians today. 
Maybe the person that you have a heart for is Jewish. And she looks at Christianity as being anti-Semitic and relates you to Hitler. Maybe the person you have a heart for is Muslim. And when they look at you and know you're a Christian, they're thinking about the Crusades. You know, maybe it's a person who went to a Catholic school or a private Christian school and it left a really bad taste in their mouth. Or they have a dad who calls himself a Christian and did all the Christian thing at church, but at home he was abusive. I mean, there are obstacles. There are doors that make it difficult for us to enter in. Pray for those to open up for you. Um, The day that my dad became a Christian... I had flown out there, California, to be there for the weekend because I got a call from my mom earlier that week saying, the nurses are saying that your dad's going to die in a few days. And if you want to talk to him one last time, you need to come this weekend. So I I was expecting, oh my gosh, is he even going to be conscious? So I flew in, and I don't know how you hospice wife nurses do it. I mean, Tina is one of those, and Jolene. I don't know how you guys do this. How you can look at a person and say, oh, they got like five days left. Because when I went there, I mean, he was eating, he was sitting up, he was talking. I mean, yeah, he was tired, but he was this happy self talking and, and everything. And I'm like, uh, wow, I don't know how they do it. It's weird. But they were right. And so I looked for an opportunity all weekend. And, you know, again, I helped the Lord say, don't fret. Told you three years ago it's going to happen right to the end. Well, this was getting to the end, Lord. I mean, <laughs> wow. You know? Nothing. No opportunity. So my luggage is packed. I'm waiting to be shuttled to the airport. And my mom comes to me and she says, He's ready. And it sounded the way the Holy Spirit spoke to me when Joy, my eldest, was three and a half, and he said, She's ready. I had read her a story about this little lamb that got lost and Jesus had to die on the cross for this little lamb. Blah, blah. And she says, I want Jesus in my heart. I'm like, uh, she's not ready. I was arguing. And the Holy Spirit said, no, she is ready. And then later on when we had mercy, when she was four and a half, fighting this little girl, she was just, oh my gosh, spanking after spanking. And you don't hit your sister and spanking. And you don't hit your sister. And I was just like, oh. And God says, she is ready. And the first time I heard he is ready was from that long. And I said, okay. So I, need, I had to go in there one more time with my luggage packed and say, Father, are you ready to receive Jesus this time? And he said, I am. I'm ready. And so I got to lead him to Christ. And I knew that that would not be the last time I would see him. The next time I would see him, he would be in glory, and so would I, and he would be my brother. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, Colossians 4.4. It's really important that we get a clear understanding of how to do this. There's a book called God on the Docks, written by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of the guys that I, if, if I could say who I wish was my dad, I wish he had been my dad. Really smart guy, really awesome person. Anyway, this book called God on the Docks is a conglomeration of essays and articles that were put together of his writings. So he didn't necessarily write that book, but it's all his writings. 
And on the, God on the docks in America could be translated God on trial. Okay? And so he is defending his faith and def- answering questions. It's a great book. I highly recommend you guys get it. I've been very stirred. I mean, some of them are like two pages long, so you could do it while you're sitting in the bathroom. But he says this. I have come to conclusion that if you cannot translate your thoughts into uneducated language, then your thoughts are confused. Power to translate is the test of having really understood one's own meaning. And translating it into ordinary language ought to be compulsory paper in every ordination examination. What he was saying was, hey, you guys want to preach? Okay, you should be able to break it down so that a three-and-a-half-year-old can understand it. And if you want to graduate from seminary, that is mandatory. You should be able to do that, right? And so we need to think of what our words are communicating. When you say you're a Christian, what does that mean to that person? Okay, in the olden days, it meant a gentleman, a gentle lady, somebody who had good manners, But now when you say you're a Christian, what is that person thinking? I'm not sure they understand what you mean by that. I mean, I guess they could guess. I guess they could say, well, that means they're not a Jew, they're not a Muslim, so they're a Christian. Right? So three options. Okay? It may mean you go to church a lot. Right? That might be what they think. So you have to explain, I am a Christian means I seriously believe in God in Christ and in being what he says. And it's what I take that really seriously. I, I seriously have a relationship with the living God where he's my friend. Because otherwise, if you say you're a Christian, people are going to say, what? You hate gay people? What? You hate people who've had an abortion? Is that what we want to communicate? You know, if we ever say, I'm an evangelical Christian, that's like double whammy. You put those two words together and you're just like irrelevant. You're unscientific, you're intolerant, you're horrible. And so we have to be careful the verbiage we use at work, at school, because otherwise people will cut you off and want nothing to do with the most beautiful person they could ever meet. So speak to people about God with wisdom and urgency. Colossians 4.5 Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. In other words, don't be a monoxious jerk. Listen to God and go with the flow. Okay, that's it. Um, Rochelle, I don't think today's the day. Um, today God wants you to know that he wants to use you in your gifts he wants to speak through you and he wants to be more present in your life and if you want that would you just please stand and we'll just let the Holy Spirit come and fill you up Father I don't want anybody in our church to be obnoxious, period. But especially with the lost. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us as a people to spend more time in prayer so we can get your heart. 
And so we can get the heart of the people that we love and we want to see them be with you. And Lord, we want to be able to be in the market and not walk by an opportunity you give to us. Lord, I'm just so sorry for that. And we're all sorry for the times we've missed it. But Lord, would you give us your heart for the lost? Could you just change our hearts so that we would treasure people like you do, Lord? Lord, you love sinners. That's why you love me. Lord, can you give us that heart? To break us, Father. Break our hearts. Remove the passiveness, Lord. Come, Jesus. In Jesus' name, I release you from condemnation you've heard this message before and I release you from condemnation and I release to you a love for the lost that it would come from the Father in heaven that you would experience brokenness that you would find yourself crying at really weird times because you see a person that's perishing And that that love would move you first to prayer and second to action. Lord, let the Vineyard Church of San Antonio be a people of prayer and of action, Lord. And let them, Father, experience in these days to come a flood of your power and love to set free their friends, their family, their enemies from being darkened, but the lies of the evil one, that you are not good. Lord, you are good. Father, fill them. Empower them. Father, use their gifts. Show them this week, Lord, creative ways to use their personality, their gifts, their talents for the kingdom, Lord, to advance your purposes, to see those who are pre-believers come to know and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you please sit down? Um, Rochelle, I want you to come forward. Okay, so what's going on is that some of you have been praying about stuff. I mean, like, okay, the main theme was contextual and Colossians, which is about opportunities for sharing your faith, right? That was the context of the scripture. But also this other theme, which is about prayer and praying for things over and over and over to get a breakthrough, to see it happen. Sometimes it's in you and whatever, okay? And some of it is healing, okay? In the vineyard, we believe that God heals, okay? I I was talking to uh, Mark and Jolene. Mark was healed of a tumor this big inside his spinal cord that was inoperable after nine months of getting prayer, okay? They look at his x-ray and say, these are not Mark's. You know, look before and after. I'm sorry, what was the difference was prayer, okay? And so God heals. And some of us have been praying for a long time. Rochelle has, yeah, that's it. She shared with me a story, her story. And so I want her to share it. Is it on? Okay. 
Um, in 2004, I went to the doctor, and they felt around my thyroid, and they felt that there was some cysts and growths. So I was like, okay, great. And so they had put me on medication to try to contain the growth, and it didn't work. And then they'd take me off, and my body would go up and down, up and down for two years. And I got an, another doctor, an endocrinologist. And so every year she said, we're going to do a sonogram and then do, um, you know, some testing to find out what's going on to make sure it's not cancerous. And it was never cancerous. But every year I had the same amount on both sides up until last week. And I went in, and they did the sonogram. She kept going and going and going. And I was like, she's taking a really long time. And she's done the same one every year since 2006 up till now. And so she said, you know, I, I can't seem to find the one on the right side. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, but okay, maybe she just missed it. Okay, But I'm like, Lord, <laughs> that would be great to have a good report right now. Yeah, that would be great. And so she's going around, and she said, well, let me show you. And so she showed me last year's where it was a huge cyst on the right side and then she showed me this and it was completely gone mm -hmm. and it was just perfect area of the thyroid you know and now the other ones are still there but that is they don't just magically disappear she says I don't know why it disappeared but it did it's just gone I'm like well I've been praying since 2004 praise the Lord she kind of looked at me funny but that's all right yeah. <laughs> so so that's my praise report and I just thought it was awesome so thank you Okay, so would you like to be healed of stuff? Okay, let's invite the Holy Spirit to heal you. Okay, and then we're, we're going to heal you. So if you have a need for healing, would you stand so that we can give time to pray for you? Benjamin, can you come down here? Because I want you to be healed. Okay, so we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and then we're going to move and we're going to start praying for these folks to get healed. Okay, and I'll, I'll help you so no one needs to be afraid. Benjamin, come up here a little bit more. Cause Holy Spirit, you want to heal today because it's in your nature. You made our bodies to heal itself. And you want to heal us, Lord. And so we invite your goodness, your spirit, to come and heal us, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us. Fill these people who by faith have stood for healing. Pastor Randy, are you standing for healing? Okay, come forward, okay? Come forward, please. Just run here, because I want to, and I want you to get lost. All right, so now, this is what the rest of us are going to do. Look around you. And you say, well, I like her blouse. That, that's my favorite color. You know? Or you say, he looks approachable. Or, well, he reminds me of my brother. Or, they're close. Okay, look around. And see who it is that you would feel some leading to pray for. Okay, because... The Lord's already prayed. He and I have already prayed about this morning service. Others have been praying about this morning service. So we got you covered. Got your back covered. Okay? And just move to them. Now, you're thinking, well, I, they don't know me. I don't know how to pray. Well, you know what? If I were in a crowd of people and Jesus did a miracle and I didn't know who Jesus was and I saw that miracle, that would be really exciting. 
Okay, so if you don't know how to pray, then you may want to stand and watch to see how God moves and what he does. Okay? So you're all welcome to be a part of this. Okay? But before we all just, just take away, go away, I want to, to see God come and move and do what he wants to do. Now, if you're a, a, one of the designated leaders of this church, would you please, um, I want you first to move to the people that you feel some leading to, okay? Now, a lot of the people standing are leaders. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Really fun. Okay. Now, the rest, y'all, just move. Just get up and move. And if this is, like, just too bizarre for you, then just hang out and see what happens. David, you have something to say? No. No. Okay. Now, people standing, people standing, it's hard to know who's standing. For prayer. So if you're needing prayer, you don't have somebody yet, raise your hand. Okay, one, two, three, four. So others. Ezra, can you please pray? Ezra, can you please pray for David right behind you? You see him? You guys can pray for each other? That's good. Okay, Janice, you get me. Okay. All right. So we're just going to pray, and you guys are done. Hey, Marissa, you're right on cue. Thank you. Put something on. When you're all done praying, what do you need prayer about? And when you're done praying, then you guys, the service is over. Put something on. When you're all done praying, what do you need prayer about? And when you're done praying, then you guys, the service is over.